0: This episode is brought to you by the Create Photography Retreat. I'm so excited to be presenting at the Create Photography Retreat again in 2020. It's going to be held in beautiful Greenville, South Carolina, October 15th to 17th, when all of the fall colors are going to be breathtaking. And you can get out there with us and, and capture, create some stunning images of that fall color. Come join me and the others from the Master Photography Podcast Network in interactive, interactive, hands-on sessions making some serious progress towards mastering your photography. If you use the link in the show notes over at phototaco.podcast.com, you can get 10% off the t- the cost of your ticket. I would love to see you there. Welcome to Photo Taco, the only show with photography tips you can learn in the time it takes to eat a taco or perhaps a burrito. Hey, everybody. Welcome into another episode of Photo Talk on the Master Photography Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jeff Harmon. Thanks so much for spending a few minutes of your day with me. In this episode, I'm going to give you a checklist of sorts that you can go through to help make sure you're getting tack sharp photos. Uh, There's so many people who I see struggle with. I, I struggle with this myself and and it's a it seems like it's a constant struggle. Every photographer is after getting sharpness in their photos. It's a never-ending game. And the bar seems to be getting raised all the time. And we all want that sharpness. We we look at other work from other photographers and we think, gosh, they are doing some they're so much better at this than me. Or maybe they have such a better camera lens than me. And look at that sharpness that they can get. That's amazing. How come I'm not getting that sharpness in my photos? It's really simple to be able to do that. And so I want to have this checklist. I want to have something you can go through where you can check yourself against, are you doing everything you can with the equipment you have? Or maybe your equipment suspect, but we'll get to that. But what is it you can do to make sure you are doing the most you can to get sharpness In your photos and have things look the way you want them to. I've had a lot of listeners give me some feedback that they don't like it when I I take time in the episodes to rehash some of the stuff I've already gone through. So throughout the episode, I am going to reference several other episodes of Photo Taco that you should go and listen to if there's stuff that I say that you don't understand. I'm not going to stop and take the time to explain it here. I have a lot of content I want to get to Those, the explanation is in the other episodes that you really do need to go check out if you want to understand it, and I do think that helps you, but I'm going to try really hard to just stick to the checklist, go through it with as little uh, rehashing of things I've already gone over as possible. All right, the first thing that I want to kind of go over on this, this checklist is a, a bit of an explanation. This isn't a checklist item yet, but just kind of what autofocus is about and and how autofocus is a best effort game. Your camera is going to do the very best it can to work with a lens attached to it to find focus, but it's it's not exact. You're asking silicon, you're asking a chip to make a decision on when things are in focus and you want it to do it really, really fast. Well, there's just no chip that's going to get that Right a hundred percent of the time. It just won't. It's going to fail. There's gonna be times it's gonna miss. And we, we want to make we want to do everything we can to make it so that we give the camera the best possible chance We give that chip the best possible chance of getting it right as much as possible. We want a high, very high hit rate on how often that autofocus does nail the focus and it can be pretty amazing. This is an area that camera manufacturers are investing in a lot they 're spending a lot of money r and d on trying to make this better and uh, sony has made massive massive steps forward with this with their eye autofocus technology built into their mirrorless cameras but even with that even as good as that is and it is pretty amazing it doesn't get it right 100 of the time it's a best effort game and autofocus will fail we just want to make it so that it will fail the least the least possible like we, we it gives it the very best chance to get it right and that's what this checklist is going to all be all about. The things that you can do to make sure you give it the very best chance to get it right. The first few are... I'm going to call them the you things, meaning it has to do with you. You have control over it. It's not equipment. It's not, uh, it's not other factors. It is stuff that you need to be able to decide. It has to do with the exposure triangle and making good decisions about where to set things. And I'm going to give you some detail on that. Then there are some equipment things that I, I, we do need to go through kind of towards the end. But there's a lot of stuff you can do with the equipment you have to make sure that you are getting the best possible sharpness out of things. So let's start at the top of the checklist. I put the U stuff first, just thinking that that's things that everyone listening can do. You don't have to invest in any new equipment to make this kind of up your game a little bit on giving autofocus the very best chance it can have of producing sharp photos. And they're not really, the first few here are not really actually fully related to autofocus. The first one, for example, has nothing to do with autofocus, but the end result can make it look like you missed focus in the photo, and that's the shutter speed. I've seen it in my own photos and the photos I've critiqued on a really consistent basis, where they're soft or they lack sharpness, and that the reason turned out to be. Shutter speed wasn't fast enough. It's pretty obvious when the shutter speed's way too slow. We all know what that looks like. Subject is, you know, streaking across the scene, leaving a trail behind them. Sometimes we do that for creative purposes. We want that streak, like, you know, car lights streaking across the night scene, for example. We want to use slow shutter speeds to make that happen. What is not so obvious, though, is when the shutter speed is almost fast enough. Not quite, but almost fast enough. And the the end result can be that the photo looks soft. It looks like the focus was not right, that it, it looks really similar to that but that's not actually what the problem was. It usually happens when there's a lack of light. Those times in the day when you you have, you know, you don't have harsh light, like golden hours, blue hours of the day, things like that, or maybe you're shooting sports indoors, our eyes make it look like there's plenty of light, but for the camera, there really isn't a lot of light. So you're battling with the shutter speed. You want to get it as low as slow as you possibly can. But yeah, you have to have limits, and I want to give you a quick rule here in this section with shutter speed. Um, I want to make, try to make it memorable. This rule, this general rule of thumb when it comes to shutter speed, and I want to, I want to call it the uh, the two by four rule. And uh, you know, two by four is like the the wood, the common dimensions of wood that you use when you're building things, especially like framing houses and and stuff like that two by four rule. Okay. So that, that's what I want you to kind of imagine in your head, the two by four rule. And it has to do with, um, the focal length kind of helping you to determine the lower limit the slowest you should go. And you shouldn't go any slower than that in order to have a sharp photo. Um, and so the two by four rule is this, if you are shooting a subject that is not moving, then you need to, you you shouldn't lower your shutter speed any lower than two times your focal length. If you're shooting a subject that is moving, you shouldn't use a shutter speed any slower than four times your focal length, two by four, two times, four times. All right. So just to give you a more concrete example, let's say you're shooting at 50 millimeters and it's not that anything magical about 50 millimeters, just a common focal length. A lot of photographers have, and it makes the math easier so we can talk through it. If the subject of your photo then is not moving, remember the two by four rule, so two, the two side of that is your subject is not moving, then you multiply that 50 millimeter focal length times two, you get 100, and you shouldn't go any slower than one one hundredth of a second. If your subject is moving, you shouldn't go any slower than 50 millimeters times four is 200 or one two hundredth of a second. It doesn't guarantee like if you follow this rule, it doesn't guarantee that the shutter speeds fast enough for the for what you're shooting. There can be other things that mean you can even go slower, you have like image stabilization but i wouldn't I wouldn't rely on any of those factors, and testing yourself would be great like people not everyone has the same steadiness, so if you are a shooter who has a struggle with keeping the camera steady. Two and four might not be enough. You might need to go like three and five or or testing, testing yourself to kind of see where where it is you get sharpness and that camera shake won't be a problem or slight movement of the subject won't be a problem that you're going to it would be best to, to figure that out but two by four as a general rule as you're setting things up just to check for yourself of like okay is my shutter speed fast enough then it, it's a good general rule of thumb to make sure that that uh, you have the shutter speed high enough for that not to be a reason that your fo- your photo got soft Num- number two on the checklist then is aperture and yet yeah, we're going to visit every element of the exposure triangle um the aperture can be either too low or too high. Both can affect the sharpness of your photos. So let me try to explain that a little bit. Um going too low. So too too low a number or opening things way too wide. That's a a very common problem with portrait photography. And that's because we're trying to get the depth of field to own, you know, make our subject pop from the background by having the background blurred and the person in sharp focus. But we want the person in sharp focus. And at least the eyes need to be in sharp focus. Both eyes preferably but the closest eye to you needs to be in like tack sharp focus you need that to be the emphasis we're really forgiving on portraits if the rest of the the person the model is not in completely sharp focus their ears the back of their head that's forgivable we we often will look at a photo as long as the eyes are sharp we think they're in focus and that's that's great so so portrait photographers often will be shooting with a lens that we call fast and that those are the lenses that are capable of really small numbers on the aperture really wide open apertures like 1.8 1.4 1.2 in some cases And if you're shooting full frame, it could be really hard to get the depth of field to cover both eyes. It's it's not difficult to make it so that you can get one eye in focus and the other not in focus, or uh, even worse would be your focus point actually fixated on an eyelash rather than the eye pupil. And you end up with the eyelash in focus and neither eye is in focus because the depth of field is so narrow. You're shooting such a wide aperture that you don't get the focus you need. So, um, you know, not taking it all the way open to, to 1.2, 1.4 is a way to be able to to get there. If you are really good at it, you know what you're doing, you've practiced this a lot, then, you know, have at it. And it kind of looks cool. It's an it's a interesting effect to have the depth of field be so narrow that only the eyes really are in focus. But, you know, going a little bit wider on the aperture, uh, um, stopping that down, sorry, not wider, stopping it down a little bit more is it may may really save you some headaches and make it so you're going be uh, you're gonna do okay there and still get the subject or the background uh, yeah, out of out of focus if it's being a problem just have your your subject step away from the background get some more distance between the subject and the background and uh, and that will help get that out of focus too uh the other one the other End of that. Well, and before I move on, actually, I want to go over one of my favorite tools, and I have no affiliation with them. This is not an ad for them. I just happen to really, really love the app. It's PhotoPills is the name of the app. It's a, a really good tool for lots of different things, and I don't want to go through that here, but uh, being able to figure out, calculate the depth of field while you're in the field, while you're out shooting somebody, you can dial in like your, your settings on your camera, which camera you've got, which lens you've got, what focal length you're using, and the distance that you have between you and the, and the subject. And that'll tell you what the depth of field is, so that you can get a good judge of it and be able to change your aperture to make sure you're getting all of them in. It's really helpful for a group, especially because now you can make sure that the front row, the middle row, back row are all in focus, that you're using an aperture that is uh, appropriately stopped down to the point where that the depth of field will cover all of the people in the photo, then you still want to make sure your focus point is on the front. Uh, Well, if it's three rows, you may actually choose to focus mostly on the middle row, make sure that the depth of field precedes that focus point enough that everything is going to be in sharp focus. But that's a whole nother kind of subject, really. Um, Just focusing on the aperture, what the depth of field is using that tool to figure it out. Then you have on the other side of things for landscape photographers, this tends to be more of an issue. There, you can actually stop down the aperture too much. You can have it be too big a number. If you start out getting into like F16, F18, F22, or even higher numbers on the aperture, now you're battling against this horrible thing called diffraction that can make your photos start to look soft again. Diffraction negatively impacts the overall quality of your photos, and you really want to avoid it. You don't want to start taking photos at an aperture that is that stopped down if you can avoid it. Um, So with landscape photographers, we're trying really hard to get that whole landscape scene to be in sharp focus. We don't want blurriness in a landscape photo most of the time. Then the better thing to do than stopping down like all the way to F22 is to do focus stacking. Take multiple pictures and stack it in Photoshop and glue them all together together. That's, that's a way better way to make that happen and it looks much better. There's challenges. It's not a, a super easy thing to do, but you will end up with better results and sharper images doing that than shooting at those really stopped down, high numbered aperture values. So aperture can can affect the, the sharpness, the relative sharpness of your photos. You got to make sure you choose an aperture that fits the situation that you're shooting. All right, now the last one, yep, the entire exposure triangle can be a problem, make things look soft. High ISO can also do this. Dialing up a really high ISO, you know, we're talking about like uh, high values is like on t- some cameras, 1600, 3200, 6400 above, they can start to make your photos look soft. Now most Most of the time you think of high ISO being associated with noise, grain being added to your photos. Um, most photographers are going to tell you that that is the end result and that the high ISO is causing this. Reality is it's a lack of light that's causing this, not the ISO. But that's a whole different podcast episode. And I'm going to leave that argument alone for right now. The thing to take away from this, this episode is that as you increase the ISO, you're also decreasing the dynamic range of your sensor. And so that you don't have to understand what dynamic range means. It's kind of a big term and a difficult thing to to convey and understand for especially people who've just started out in photography. But the end result is just think of it this way. The higher the ISO goes, the less the camera sensor is able to depict edges and edges is what makes us perceive sharpness. We think we know things are sharp when we can really see where the edges are on things. And as your as your ISO goes up, the ability for that sensor to really capture those edges in fine detail goes down. So you want to avoid high ISO numbers because of that dynamic range being impacted, and it can make your photo start to look soft. There's a the noise thing too, but that's a whole separate deal, and that's not really what I'm, I'm getting at here. So it, it's better if you can to try to take whatever steps you need to get that ISO down underneath a certain Now, uh, the tough thing is not every camera is the same here. Some cameras deal with this way better. The dynamic range is so great that as you increase the dynamic range that results at higher levels is still acceptable because it has such a large dynamic range to begin with. All of them lose dynamic range as you increase the ISO. It's, it's a universal thing, but, you know, mirrorless DSR doesn't matter. They all do this. That's all the same impact on electric sensors that are in the digital cameras, but the um, the dynamic range that some start off with is so much bigger than others that when it does get reduced, it's still in a really good range at higher numbers. So I can't tell you a, a number to stay under because it depends on what camera you've got. But this is something you could go test. You could easily set up a test in a relatively dark room. Anything indoors really will work. And take the photos, take photos with the same shutter speed and aperture and just like increase the ISO from 100 to 800 to 1600 to 3200. And then in post on the computer, make it so that all of them have the same exposure by, by you know, increasing the exposure on the lower ISO images so that you can kind of compare them to each other. And look for the the details on the edges to be not as sharp or as clean as you'd like. Don't worry about the noise that might be there. That's a different problem. But the sharp details that are being captured and kind of see at what limit are you like, ah, I'm really losing the edges, the detailed edges when I get to this point in the ISO so that you can figure out for you what you like. And it's kind of a subjective thing. How much are you willing? When is it not sharp enough for you? So you can go and check that out, do that test. I've done that test. I know where I, where my ISO number is and I don't, I don't want to go above it because I lose the, the detail. I lose sharpness. All right, let's now go on to another U thing. Those, all those first three have nothing to do with like you needing a new camera or a new lens, maybe the ISO a little bit because some cameras do have that bigger dynamic range, but you deciding that you have the right shutter speed and the right aperture, that's, that happens with every camera. That's you. You have to decide that. Well, this is another you thing, another thing that you need to practice and you need to make sure you have down. And I'm lumping a couple of different things together here, but I'm going to call it poor focus technique. It's really, really common for focus to not be tack sharp when you don't have good focus technique. Learning how to use the right focus mode, the right focus point, point. And even doing a good job of keeping the camera steady and holding the sh- and pressing the shutter button down, all of that goes into focus technique, is what I'm going to call it for this episode. So, for example, learning the difference between phase detect and auto detect and, and contrast detect focus points—that's not something a lot of photographers know, and they're different depending on live view versus um, viewfinder for DSLRs. It can be overwhelming. I just said a bunch of big words that some photographers may not understand. And if that's you, if, if you don't understand contrast detector face detect autofocus points, don't worry about it. I have a podcast episode on it. It was published back in March 2015 called Contrast Versus Phase Detect Autofocus Modes. And um, and you can go I'll put a link in the show notes to it. Another one that's a similar kind of topic in February 2016, I published one called Focus Points. And both of those will really help you to kind of figure out what I was just talking about. How do you know what focus point to use? How do you know uh, what's the difference between these types of focus points? And things that are really good for you to understand um, so that you you can take advantage of your the tool that is your camera and know how to set it up to be the most successful in the shooting situation you are in. You might have to read the manual. (laughs) There could be some of that so that you know what buttons to push and where to go in the menus to be able to change between these different options and what's even possible. Some cameras even allow you to change the relative sensitivity of the focus points or give it some uh, information about what's most important to you about capturing focus points and, and customizing how the focus system works All of that's going to need to come either from the manual or you can go to YouTube. Start looking for YouTube videos of somebody who's going through your specific camera and showing how it is that the focus system works. All of that is really, really important. And and if you don't understand that, if if you are listening to this and you couldn't tell me how the focus points in your camera work or what the focus modes are in your camera, that's a sign you need to spend some time here. You need to go and invest in yourself so that you can understand it because it, it won't matter what camera you have. If you don't understand how to use the focus system, you're, not, you're, not, you're going to make mistakes that don't give that camera the best possible chance for getting sharp focus. You need to be able to do that. Incidentally, I say this a lot on the show, uh, especially on Master Photography Podcast, the other podcast that I, I host a lot, Um, investing your time here is going to do more for the relative image quality than buying a new camera. So many photographers push the easy button on this and they go and they're like, well, you know, my work is not as sharp as theirs. And that's because they shoot, you know, whatever camera and I don't have that camera. So what I need to do is just buy that camera and then I'm going to get photos as sharp as they have. Well, you at least will have the same equipment. And so you have the same potential to get the sharpness they have. But if you don't know how to use the focus system and you don't know how to set the shutter speed and you don't know how to do the aperture, and you're setting the ISO too high, those things are still going to mean, even with the same camera, you're not going to get the sharpness they are. So you've, investing in yourself and making sure you know how to do all of this is really, really important, and I'd really recommend you do that before you consider upgrading your camera. Get good enough to where you know the camera is the thing holding you back and it's not any of the things on this checklist that I'm talking about before you go and upgrade your camera. All right, enough of that. If you want to upgrade your camera, go for it. (laughs) I mean, that is the easy button, I think, but like I said, there's really a lot of value in investing yourself. Now, the next thing to do, this is really hard to do in audio, but I wanna to try to describe how it is I hold my camera and, and what some good technique is for making sure you keep it still and you don't mash that shutter button. So with my right hand, I, I have my index finger to push the shutter button. That's kind of how cameras are designed. And my right thumb is in position to like press the buttons on the back of the camera. So neither of those fingers can really do a lot to help me keep my camera steady. But I do have the other three fingers in my right hand and they can wrap around the grip of the camera and then I can kind of squeeze that against the palm of my hand, the grip of the camera on the right hand side. So really my right hand is like holding the weight up of the camera on the camera. And, um, and it, enough that as I shoot for a long period of time, my right hand can get kind of really tired. And I sometimes have to like, you know, put my camera over to my left hand and just shake out my right hand. Cause it's tired from that squeezing that I'm doing to, to keep it there. The, uh, then with my left hand, I definitely, you know, incorporate my left hand into stabilizing the camera. Well, while, while I am shooting, my left hand is cupped underneath the lens of the camera. Usually, uh, usually I have a big enough lens on that. That's like a natural kind of thing. If I have on a, a pancake lens or something that's really small, then maybe I'll, I'll actually put my left hand on the body of the camera. But most of the time I have it cupped underneath the lens with my thumb pointing towards the left side of my body. So that just to give you like the direction of where it is. And that is again, to try to take some weight And make it so that I can do the best I can. With my thumb pointed out towards the left-hand side of my body, that also makes it so that my elbow can be in position to kind of rest against my lower body. And it makes it so that I have, you know, a couple of points of contact here and I sort of make my arms into a, a pseudo tripod of sorts. And it helps me to stabilize the camera, make it so that I can I can really hold that camera pretty still. And if you if you've struggled with that, if you you have a hard time keeping the hammer, the camera still, you might try some different adjustments to see is there a position you can hold your hands to make it so that you get a little bit more stability as you're holding it. And then I mentioned mashing the shutter button. I love that term mashing when it comes to this. Some photographers really push that button hard, and you got to think like you're if you're hand holding that camera. You pushing that button, it's it's impossible to not have that really impact the stability of the camera. And now your shutter speed has to be even higher (laughs) because you're really shaking that camera as you push the shutter button at the exact wrong moment. So practicing that a little too, getting really good at making sure you apply just the force it takes to push that button. You do have to push the button. Obviously, that's a a critical thing. You got to push it hard enough to push the button, but uh, trying to, you know, not push too much force and mashing that button down is really good technique to have. So all that together is what I'm going to call focus technique, and that's a you thing. This is all stuff you can practice. So far, we haven't talked about really upgrading your equipment apart from maybe ISO. All right, next thing on the checklist Now we're going to get to our first equipment thing, and I think this is more important than the body, and that's lens quality. You can have the shutter speed high enough. You can have the aperture great. You can have focus technique that's good. You know exactly what focus uh, point to use, what focus mode to use, all the things we've gone through in the checklist already, and still end up having a lack of sharpness when you compare it with other photographers More than likely, the reason other photographers are getting sharper photos than you, if you have the rest of the you stuff taken care of, it's probably the lens more than it is the body. Yes, the body can matter, but the lens plays even a bigger role than the body. And that is something that's worth investing in really, really soon. Having good quality lenses will impact the sharpness that you can get in photos. So that that's a thing to consider. If you've really practiced a lot and you feel like you've got stuff nailed, getting the lens may be the thing that's going to push you over the top and make it so that you can start getting the high sharpness that you've seen before. So like everything in life, it's the reason it's it's a it's saying a, it's it's out there you get what you pay for. And that's what happens here too with lenses. You get what you pay for and the lenses that came with your camera we call them kit lenses because they come with the kit in your camera they're decent you know i mean they can produce images especially if you have that aperture set um kind of in the middle range on the camera or on the lens you can get you can get good pictures for sure they're they're not entirely useless but they're not that great. (laughs) Not only is the build quality better in more expensive lenses, but the optics and the way that they're manufactured are better. And you just get better sharpness out of the higher quality optics that are in those more expensive lenses. There's a reason those lenses are more expensive. And it it, it does affect the sharpness of your photos. Now, I'm not going to say, though, that you have to go get the most expensive lens available for your camera. You don't have if you have a, if you shoot Canon, you don't have to have Canon lenses to get the most sharpness. If you shoot Sony, you don't have to have Sony. There's really good third-party lenses. Manufacturers like Tamron and Sigma in particular are doing a really seriously good job of providing a huge amount of value because they're usually less expensive and the sharpness is either as good or in some cases there are people who argue They're even, they're capable of even more sharpness than those first party lenses. Sometimes it's because they've been manufactured more recently and those Canon or uh, lenses or Nikon, which whatever the first party lenses, they may be old. They may have been produced a while ago and it's, it's changed and there's better optical things available now, a higher quality engineering available. Anyway, the lens can matter that's a good thing to look to. It's something on the checklist. If you don't have some of the higher quality lenses, save up for those because that's going to matter. And that's the thing worth upgrading before your camera body for sure. All right. Now, the next thing on the checklist, another thing that can cause what looks like a focus miss, and that's just insufficient light. We, As photographers, we capture light. That's what we're doing when we press the shutter button. We're recording light that's coming into that camera. And if we don't have enough of it, it's really hard to make a good photo. It's really, really tough to make that happen. Cameo manufacturers are working on this all the time, trying to do everything they can to make it so that it does a better job of like not needing as much light in order to produce really good images. I mean, after all, the bride went to great lengths to get that romantic mood at her reception, and she doesn't want you disrupting that mood by adding more light or saying, I'm sorry, I can't take these photos because your room is too dark. You're going to have to add some light. But that's exactly kind of you know a big problem, particularly when you talk about autofocus. So this is the first point at which I'm going to tell you that The autofocus system itself is really being impacted by this. And that's that poor light will affect the autofocus significantly. Um, You can end up like in that example, the wedding reception, you you may have flashes set up. You might have like, you know, three throughout the the reception hall. And um, any point where you're going to take the photo, they're, they're adding light, you know, for that split second. So that you can get better images and you can do a better job of recording the the light as it is in the scene that was temporarily bigger than it was. But that light only happens as you press the shutter button and you're taking the photo. It does not happen prior to that. And autofocus then has to work in the darker part of, you know, before the lights there. And autofocus struggles in in darkness. It really, really struggles. You can see this when it gets too dark, how it just searches and searches. It's going to take that lens in and out, in and out, trying to find where it's focused because autofocus is failing miserably. When there's not enough light, the chances that autofocus is going to be right, the chances that chip is going to tell your camera, your lens, where it should be set for focus go down a lot. So, you, yeah, the bride doesn't want you to add light to that room, but you may need to tell her, like, if you want photos that are sharp, I got to add a little light somehow. We got to get a little bit more light in this room um, so that the focus can work. And there's some other solutions to that, too. There's there, You can have a, a flash on your camera that has focus assist, and that's going to, like, put a little laser light out there and make it so that it has a little bit more light. Uh, it can go off of that for focus. And and that works. That's fine. But just be aware of that, that when things are dark, even if you're using a flash so that you can end up getting more light as you take the picture, that's not there for autofocus and autofocus is going to struggle. And the chances that autofocus is right go down. All right. Next one. And this is the last one really on the list that I wanted to talk about in this episode on my checklist and that is that if you shoot a DSLR, this does not apply to mirrorless. And you've got everything else on this checklist taken care of. All of the other things that are on the checklist, you're a master at shutter, master at aperture. you got the ISO nailed. You know how to use a focus point. You know how to use the focus system and how to tune it. You know um, how to hold your camera and press that shutter button. You've got the, enough light in the room for autofocus to do well you still may end up with photos that don't look as sharp as others. You st- Oh, and, and the good lens. I, f- I forgot about that. One. And the good lens, you still may end up with sharpness issues. And if that's true, you're probably shooting a DSLR because mirrorless don't struggle with this. That is that the autofocus system has to be tuned or calibrated for a DSLR. And I don't want to go into the details here. That's not what we're... Again, I don't want to rehash stuff. So I have a really good episode on this. like A couple of them, actually. One's called AFMA Explained. And AFMA stands for Autofocus Micro Adjust. Kind of a generic term for this. Every camera manufacturer calls it something unique. So it's not the same across all of them. But really, it's, it's, it's something you'll be able to find for your camera. If you go search on Google for AFMA and your camera name, then you should find either a user's manual or links or whatever it is to be able to uh, get some information. And I go through kind of the processes there in that episode called AFMA Explained. There'll be a link in the show notes. The other one is AFMA Revisited, where I kind of go over some things after having done AFMA for some time, a few months, and trying to figure out like how often do I have to do it? Is it changing much in my camera? So it was kind of interesting to to be able to have that happen. I've listened to photographer podcasts, I've watched YouTube videos, uh, all kinds of things. I've heard people say so often, oh, this lens is so sharp. I'm sure you've heard that too. And I talked about lenses being sharp and that you really need, that the lens does definitely impact the relative sharpness of the photo. That is all true, but you have to, to, to really get the most out of your lens and your camera with the DSLR you also really 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 need to go through this AFMA process and go do it. The, my my favorite process. Oh and, and by the way this is specific to the lens. Like as lenses are manufactured, they are built to a certain specification where each lens is allowed to have some variance in the optics. It's tiny. It's a tiny amount of variance, but the manufacturing would be so expensive for a lens, if they allowed like almost zero variance, that we, none of us could afford them, they'd be so expensive. So they have to, to keep costs down, they have to allow a little variance between the lenses. So if you had a copy of a lens, uh, let's, let's just say it's a 24 to 70 lens, just so I can have something more concrete to talk about. And, and a friend of yours has exactly the same lens, same manufacturer, same lens those two lenses are going to be not exactly identical and you need to calibrate the lens you have, the copy that you have to your specific camera. There's a calibration there. That's what AFMA is all about. And when you do that, that's when you have the very best chance for autofocus to just nail it and have everything be right. And it's the last part of the formula here. So I, I want you to do that. The, the method I prefer to doing this AFMA calibration of your your lens to your camera is, um, is called dot tune. I'm going to put some links in the show notes. It can be as short as five minutes to do this process once you learn how to do it. But the first time it's definitely going to take a little longer than that and set up for it can take longer too. But the actual process, like once you have a target set up and your camera's out and you've got appropriate distance between the target and the camera, I'm not going to go through all the details here, but overall, maybe 10, 15, 20 minutes, kind of depending um, on the scenario and what you're doing. That's my favorite method. There are others you can do it, but I like it the best because it doesn't make me have to make like this subjective judgment between two or three photos on which of those photos is the sharpest, which a lot of methods have you do. Uh, And it also doesn't require me to buy software for a computer and uh, which there is some software that can do that. So this is my preferred method. It's totally free. It doesn't, it, it, it's easy to do and it produces really good results. So dot tune is something you can look up by. You can check up. There's some forum posts that I'll link to in the show notes. This idea kind of came up in 2013, back in 2013 of a, a way to be able to do this AFMA calibration using this dot tune method. There's also a really good YouTube video that walks you through the method itself. And uh, so you can check that. I'll have a link in the show notes to that too. It's really a really uh, an important thing to do. If you shoot a DSLR, you need to do this. Not every DSLR is capable of it though. So be, be aware of that. You may have, if you have a consumer really lower end camera, they may not allow it, which is kind of terrible to me because every one of them needs this. And if you shoot a DSLR, you really need to do this and you have to do it for every lens in your kit, every lens you've got. The camera will, will store that the information that you set on the calibration per lens in the camera. All right. So that's it. That's the checklist. That those are the things that you can make sure you've got taken care of so that you have the best possible chance to give sharpness in your photos. Uh and and uh that's that's what I have to cover on this this episode. Now you can find everything photo talk related over at phototaco podcast dot com. Searchable show notes there. I've referenced lots of episodes through this episode. There's tons more. I have several hundred episodes of Photo Taco that you can go and search over there at phototacopodcast.com. I made sure the search was really easy to use and accessible even on mobile. So if you have a technical question about photography in particular, go search the show notes over at Photo Taco Podcast and you'll be able to find that. I have buying guides for computers to make sure you have the best chance of having Lightroom Photoshop run well. I have all kinds of, of guides and information that you, you've got to go check out there. And I, I hope it's a valuable resource for you. If you have suggestions for the show, I'd love to hear from you. You can email me at phototaco podcast at gmail.com. You can contact me on Twitter. The tag is at phototaco um, and Instagram, uh, phototaco podcast. I'm there too. No question is uh, too basic or too complicated. If I don't know the answer, I'm going to find someone who does. Bring in an expert and be able to talk about it. And I'd love to have your your ideas. You can check out the other podcast I do, Master Photography Podcast, where I'm a frequent host of that show. I have a team of people that work on that podcast with us too. And we we have weekly episodes there with lots of tips and things. Uh, talk about the news occasionally, but it's mostly filled with tips on how to do different types of shooting. You can check out the Facebook group too, Photo Taco uh, Facebook group. You do have to answer a question on a... Uh, Who's the host of the show? You can just put in Jeff Harmon that's a J-R-M-O-N. Although if you misspell it, I don't care. As long as you get the gist. Uh, I just want to keep the bots and the spammers out of there. So you have to ask to join the group by naming a the host of the show. Uh, And and that's it. So I thank you so much for listening. I hope this helps you with having sharper images. I'd love to hear about your experiences too. if I if you join that Facebook group, I will definitely be posting a link in the Facebook group to this episode. I want to know what did I miss? What things contribute to sharpness that I didn't cover here? Or what things really helped you? Is there something that I hit on in this episode that you that clicked for you and you thought, oh, that's why I'm not getting sharp photos? Love to see that over in the Facebook group or drop me an email or comment on the blog post in the show notes. There's a way to comment in the sections there. I take a look at those as frequently as I can and I'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you again next time. These expressed on this program by independent hosts of colors do not necessarily reflect the views of Master Photography Podcast, LLC, or its advertisers. Some links mentioned on this program are affiliate links for permission Deserved.